Welcome to the Exploring Faith, Pursuing Grace podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Pendergrass, and you may notice, especially if you're watching, Lee Grant is not with us tonight. I am missing him already, and Lee texted me just a few minutes ago to let me know that he has a stomach bug. He wouldn't be able to make it tonight to record. We usually have several podcast episodes already in the pipeline ready to go. Unfortunately, he and I both have been really busy with our work and our jobs and haven't had time to put any episodes together in advance. And so we needed one. I told him, hey, I'll do a solo episode tonight. From time to time, Lee and I have done some solo episodes. We know that you, our audience, prefer us when we're together and even more so when we have guests. But tonight, it's just going to be me. But I promise I will not try to speak more than you know two or three hours. Of course, anytime Lee and I say we're not going to go long, that tends to be when we go our longest. But I'm going to do my best, I promise, to keep it short. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you just about everything I'm going to say is off the cuff tonight. Uh, I have spent little to no time in preparation as far as coming up with an outline because we just needed some material. And tonight is something that I have actually been wanting to talk about for some time. And so this just seemed to be the perfect opportunity to do that. And this is going to be just more of a personal conversation uh, with our audience, with you tonight. And that is when it comes to leaving legalism, there are several things that I wish I would have done differently. And I think this episode is a very timely episode because here recently, our podcast has just been blowing up with more downloads. We have started the YouTube channel now. It's still brand new. It's only been up for about a week, but we've get, been getting a lot of feedback and most of that feedback has been positive. And one of the questions that I get all the time, and Lee gets this question as well, and, and that is, what do we do? when we're leaving a legalistic system? How do, how do we go about navigating that? And I feel like so many books are written about legalism and how to leave legalism and why legalism is a bad Christian system to be a part of. And I want to be very careful when I'm talking about legalism. I'm talking about any system that involves a legalistic framework. So it doesn't just have to be the churches of Christ, even though that's the background that I've come from and that Lee's come from, and he also has come from a Pentecostal background. It, it can be any church. It doesn't have to be just one particular denomination or church group. And even within the churches of Christ, there are some churches that are very grace-centered. So you may be leaving a legalistic system out of one church of Christ and going into a freedom system, a grace-centered system into another church of Christ. And so it doesn't really matter uh, what church we're talking about or what particular fragment of a denomination we're talking about. We're simply speaking of any, uh, any legalistic system in any denominational body or church group. What happens when you're leaving that? How can you navigate that? And I've had two really good conversations this past week with a couple of our listeners who are going through that deconstructive process right now. And emotionally, there's some issue there. Now, logically, they've been able to, to realize that what they've been doing is not right. They're starting to find freedom, but emotionally, they're not sure how to handle it. And this is something that I certainly can relate to. So I thought, hey, I'll just go ahead and talk about this tonight because I've talked to Lee about this in the past, about the importance of making sure that we're not just talking about 
theology in in a factual sense, but we're also talking about theology in applicable sense. That when when we're when we're doing these podcasts, we truly want them to be beneficial. It's good to have facts. It's good to have information. But at the end of the day, we have to live. And the more information we have that we can apply, the better. So I just have a few points tonight that I do want to talk about, that I do want to discuss, that hopefully will help you out. So the first thing that I wish I would have done differently when I was leaving legalism is I wish I would have spent more time living out the grace I believed in instead of trying to debate people into it. Now, I was a former debater, and because of that, I thought when I started finding out some of these things in the Bible, I was very excited because I realized that, hey, there's a lot more freedom in Scripture than I had ever realized. God is not uh, this tyrant that I thought he once was. I started understanding a God of love, a God of compassion, a God of mercy and grace, and it was wonderful. I was excited about it. I couldn't, I couldn't wait to tell other people. But since the old Kevin Pendergrass always liked to debate, then my default was, well, I'm just going to debate people into accepting grace, <laughs> which, is, which is kind of ironic when you think about it, because you can't debate people into grace. People have to come to that realization on their own. And the best way that people can come to that realization is by experiencing it. Now, I think I may have shared this story before. I'm not sure. But when I was doing all my formal debating, I always wanted to debate Rubel Shelley. Now, to some of you, that name may mean nothing. To those who probably came from the Churches of Christ, you may have heard of Rubel Shelley. I grew up hearing about how Rubel Shelley was this false teacher. He was someone who once stood for the truth. He was someone who once fought the good fight of faith, but then he had erred away. And so when I was doing my debating, I always tried to debate him. And there were times I would call him up, I would email him, I would contact him. <laughs> and I was always uh, just, you know, I was always wanting to debate him. And of course, he, he never did. He, uh, he would have killed me, quite frankly, in a debate if we ever were, were to have debated. I'm glad we didn't really. He would have just embarrassed me. But we were, uh, we were having conversations during this time, um, usually brief conversations. But one thing I always remember about him is how kind he was. He was always very gracious. And even though I was the obnoxious young guy who thought he had it all figured out, contacting someone who was much older, smarter, and wiser, he, he still was kind to me. And so when I started changing, he was actually one of the first people that I reached out to. And he was someone that I looked back and, and saw that this is someone who truly lived out grace. And it wasn't the people who... I thought would be in my corner. Those are not the people who ended up being in my corner. In a lot of, in a lot of sense, in a lot of ways, it was people who I never would have thought would have been there for me. But as I look back, they were always the kind ones. They were always the ones who were respectful, even when we did disagree. So when I started changing, who do you think the very first people were who I wanted to talk to? Well, it was those individuals. Because I remembered they showed me grace. They showed me mercy. And if they showed me grace and mercy when I was acting the way that I did back then, then how much more are they going to be showing me grace and mercy now that I am starting to change and that I am open to hearing what they have to say? And so what I learned through that is I wish I would have shown people more grace while I was changing and 
trying to tell people about grace. It's one thing to tell people, hey, I've, I've learned about grace, but then if I turn around and treat people horribly, that's not grace. That's not going to teach them anything. If anything, that's just going to give them more reason to say, oh yeah, he just believes in a different doctrine. He's just changing, but he's still the same old person he was before. I've said this on the show before, and I'll say it again. The best compliment I can receive is when someone says, you have changed that I can tell you are a different person, that you are kinder than you used to be, that that you're not dogmatic or legalistic. I'm not I'm not afraid to talk to you anymore. I'm not afraid that I may tell you something and you may go and, and condemn me for it or tell other people that they should condemn me for it. Um, and that's one of the greatest compliments I can receive because grace is something that has to be experienced. The best way to experience that is to 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 win or the best way to to allow others to experience that is when you're having conversations with them, there's going to be probably a lot of disagreement when you're changing. There's going to be a lot of debating. There's going to be a lot of questioning. But you don't have to fall prey to that. You don't have to fight fire with fire. Instead, you can show them what grace looks like in action. I'll give you some practical examples. Um, If you're having someone who's emailing you, and for me particularly, because I came from a preaching background, I was preaching, I had been debating, I was the director of the Gospel of Christ program, I had a lot of people who were emailing me, most of which I really didn't know that well. I knew some of them, but I didn't know a lot of people. And they would email me and they would tell me, hey, Kevin, you know, we think that you're a false teacher, we think that you're going to hell, and we, we just you know, want you to repent. And there was no questions. There wasn't any kind of true engagement that they wanted to have. They didn't want to know why I had changed. They just, in their mind, were convinced that I no longer cared about the truth or that I was a false teacher and that I was a heretic. Well, when you get an email like that, and especially when you get several emails like that, <laughs> the knee-jerk reaction is not to say, oh, thank you for your email and your concern. You know, I love you and God loves you and everything's okay. <laughs> That's not the knee-jerk reaction. And I can promise you Lee would agree with me on that. The knee-jerk reaction is I'm going to respond back and I'm going to rebuke this individual. I'm going to set them straight. I'm going to call them a false teacher. You know, it gets back into that whole mudslinging contest. Well, well, you think I'm a false teacher. Well, you're the one who's a false teacher. You think I don't know scripture. You're the one who doesn't know scripture. And then you get in this email and then you start attacking one another personally. And I look back and there are so many emails, so many emails I regret. And I, I look back every now and then. It's a painful experience, but I do look back every now and then and read some of those emails. And I just ask myself, Kevin, what were you thinking, man? Like, how in the world was this going to attract anybody to grace when I was behaving either the same or even worse than I had in times past? So when you start changing, the the first thing that I would really encourage you to do is make sure that if you have found grace for yourself, more so than you have ever found before, more so than you ever realized existed for you in your life, and you realize what Christianity is really about, that it is more of a, of a relationship with God. It's not just a dry ritualistic system. It's not something where you just go and check, check things off the list. That It's a deep, intimate relationship with God, and there's so much grace and mercy and compassion. And, and, and when you realize that you have that for yourself, then we need to show that to other people. And when we do show that to other people, it does change. There have been people, thankfully, since I have truly started to 
at least attempt to live out the grace of God in my life. I say attempt because I'll be the first to tell you I fail daily. And the advice I'm giving you is is advice that I I learned through trial and error, but it's also advice because I realized, as I said in this podcast, these are things I wish I would have done differently. So I have failed, hopefully so you don't have to. But even once you know these things, even once you realize these things, you're still going to fail. I still fail. There's still conversations I have on the phone, in person, in email, and I'm just like, oh man, I'm I'm, I'm reverting back. I don't want to do that. That's not who I want to be. And it, it, usually I'm okay, especially now. But every now and then someone may, you know, someone knows how to press those right buttons. But overall, I, I really try to live out that grace that I believe in because I want people to show that to me. I want people to to be kind to me. So because of that, I want to I want to show that to others. So when you're changing, you're, you're, you're trying to navigate what to do, be kind. Show the grace and demonstrate the grace. Live out the grace that you believe in when you've changed. The second thing that I wish I would have done different is I wish I would have been more tolerant of those who disagreed with me. I am a pretty aggressive person by nature as far as my personality is concerned. And I have always been a, a pretty... Um, not just an assertive person, but a pretty aggressive person just in my personality. And I really had to do a lot of rewiring mentally. I really had to look at myself and ask myself, you know, who does God want me to be? Does God want me to be the person up there debating, condemning everybody, thinking that he has all the answers? No, that's not who God wants me to be. So when I changed on that, my, as I just said a moment ago, my initial response is, well, I'm going to debate everybody into grace. Well, just, just talked about that. You can't do it. So what I ended up doing is after I would have these conversations with people and they still disagreed with me, it was tempting to then force them to draw the line and say, well, you have to be consistent. And if you're not willing to change, then you're being inconsistent by still fellowshipping me. And there was there was one individual I remember who he did disagree with me on several things as I was changing, but he was very kind to me. And he said, Kevin, I have no problem fellowshipping you. And I said, well, you're a coward because you get up on Sundays and tell people that, that you think they're going to go to hell, but yet you know what I believe And it's the things that you claim are sinful and will send somebody to hell. And yet you're telling me behind closed doors that you don't have any problem with me. That makes you a hypocrite. That makes you a coward. And you know what the Bible says about cowards? Revelation 21.8, the first category of people that, that the Bible talks about is the cowardly. The cowardly will not inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, you, you have it right there. Uh, They're going to burn in the lake of fire. And so I remember having this conversation and I was still somewhat legalistic. I mean, this is when I was coming out of legalism. I was leaving legalism. So I can look back now and laugh. I'm not I'm not laughing because uh, I'm trying to make light of the situation, but it is a bit humorous because I was still that old what I call old Kevin. But I told this one preacher friend of mine, I said, well, you're a coward and you're inconsistent. And so finally he said, well, you're right. I guess if, if you really think that I need to withdraw from you, I, I guess that's what I need to do to be consistent. And so he did. And then I thought, well, what have I done? I mean, he was, he was one of my friends. Why did I do this? Why was I not more tolerant of him and his beliefs? Why was I not more accommodating? Why was I so willing to call him out? And it's easy once you've jumped the fence and you're on the other side to then point your finger 
and say, well, look at where I've come from. They still haven't figured it out. And they're the ones who are now wrong. They're the ones who, who are in sin. They're the ones who are binding where God hasn't bound. And in doing that, I have no tolerance for them anymore. I fell back into the very same problem that I had when I was in legalism. And this is why I, I write in my first book, you can be legalistic even, in a, even within freedom. You can be legalistic. You can look down on others who have yet to find or experience the same grace and freedom or at least recognize the same grace and freedom that you have. It's easy to, to, to look at other people and think, oh, well, look at me. I'm so smart. I have found freedom. I'm no longer one of those ignorant individuals living in legalism. I'm a smart, educated, enlightened person who now knows all about God's grace. When you do that, you're not tolerant of the individual. You're still living in a legalistic mindset when you act that way. When we first started doing the podcast, I don't know exactly what episode it was or what even the topic is that we covered, but I had someone reach out to me. It was on grace or mercy or a subject where we were just talking and, and spitballing some different ideas. And he messaged me, he's an elder in the churches of Christ. And he asked a good question. And he said, well, Kevin, don't you think though, now that we're living in freedom, that when we look at scripture, the one thing that, that Jesus, the one thing that Paul didn't tolerate is legalism. And I said, well, yeah, I, I agree with you on that. But I said, God also, and Paul also, and Peter also, and, and these other apostles and spiritual leaders of the church, I said, but they still had grace and they still had mercy because that's where they had come from. I mean, Paul, out of, out of anybody, knew what it was like to be stuck in a legalistic religious system. I mean, he knew. And that's why when he writes... He writes with such love most of the time. Um, sometimes he gives pretty scathing reviews. Most of the time, though, he writes with, with a lot of love and passion and, and understanding because he says in Romans 9, he said, yeah, I wish that I could trade places. If I could give my life so that you could be saved, I would. That's how much I love my Jewish brethren. And that's what Paul said. Paul, Paul loved his Jewish brethren. He, he could empathize with them. And those of us who are leaving a legalistic system should have the most patience with those who are still trapped in it. Let me say that one more time. Those of us who are leaving a legalistic system should have the most patience. We, we should have the most patience and have the most empathy because we know what it was like to be there. We know what it was like to, to, to feel that way, to live that way. I mean, it was a living hell in and of itself. And so instead of turning our heads the other way, instead of not having compassion, instead of not having tolerance, we should be very tolerant of individuals and people who are still trapped in a legalistic system and accommodate where they're at. Because people are in all sorts of different stages when it comes to leaving any, any legalistic system. Some people, they may have left because of one or two issues. And they're still really struggling to, to find footing, to figure out where they go from there. Other people, they may, you know, for some people, it's, it's almost instantaneously. When they find freedom, man, they find freedom. And it's pretty easy for them. For me, I was the opposite. It took me a long time. It took me a long time because I was so steeped in legalistic thinking. 
And so when you're leaving, make sure that you are having tolerance or that you're being tolerant toward those who disagree with you. Don't force people into drawing lines with you. One thing that I finally decided is that if someone is going to draw lines, it's not going to be me. Now, there may be other issues and other times when I feel like lines need to be drawn, boundaries need to be set. Maybe it's some sort of abuse. Maybe there is spiritual toxicity, whatever it might be. But I'm talking about if someone thinks that I'm wrong, I'm not going to be the one to say, oh, well, I'm going to draw lines before you can draw lines with me. No. If someone thinks that I'm wrong, that's their right. And if someone thinks I'm a false teacher, that's their right. But I'm not going to force them to draw lines if they're still willing to fellowship me, if they're still willing to show me love and grace, even if they're telling other people they think I'm wrong or I'm a false teacher. I'm not going to call them out for that. If they're willing to still be my friend, if they're still willing to show me kindness, then I'm going to tolerate that. I'm going to tolerate that diversity um, of beliefs. So that's the second thing I would do. The third thing is, and this, this somewhat goes hand in hand with what we've been talking about, but that is just be more merciful to those who thought that I was a false teacher. Um, instead of going after them and attacking them, just be more merciful to them. And, and this, this kind of leads me into a subpoint here I want to talk about. Um, this evening, and that is, how do you have conversations with people when you're leaving legalism? How should those conversations go? What should you say? What should you not say? And I'm going to be the first to tell you, I don't have all the answers. <laughs> and in many situations, there's not a definitive right, there's not a definitive wrong in how to handle each situation because it has to be handled situationally and, and each situation is going to, to be uniquely different. And when it comes to, to how should we handle conversations with people, how I handle my family would probably be radically different with how I handle someone I met one time when I was doing a gospel meeting or a lectureship. Those two conversations are probably going to look very differently from one another. Uh, but when it comes to having these conversations, I think there are some general principles that at least I've learned that I've gone through and I've experienced that have worked out pretty well for me and that I've been able to either keep relationships, salvage some relationships, and even go back and reconcile some relationships because of these conversations I've had. And so when you're, when you're leaving legalism, sometimes you're leaving a church, uh, maybe you've already left, maybe you're still there. But people, depending upon your status within the church, if, you're, if you are the preacher, then you're definitely going to have a lot of people who want to talk to you. If you are a deacon or if you're an elder, if you hold some sort of leadership position, or if you're just heavily involved in the church there, maybe you teach children's church, maybe you work with uh, the children's ministry there, maybe you're just involved and you're the one that everyone calls when, it, when, when they want to do an uh, event with the church. So, whatever your status is, when you start changing, what do you do when people say they want to talk to you? And this is the phrase that I continue to hear repeatedly. I'm concerned for you. I'm really concerned with where this is headed. I even had someone call me and say, I heard that you no longer believe instrumental music and worship is a sin. I laughed and I told them that that's not true. And I just wanted to call to verify that that person was mistaken. 
that was an interesting conversation, <laughs> to say the least, because um, I told him he needed to sit down and brace himself because I had changed my position on that. He said, I just watched your debate two days ago when you were saying that it was wrong. How could you have changed? And then we ended up having a, a pretty interesting conversation. But there are some, going back to, to the question and to the point, I think there are some some boundaries that you can set when and some questions you can ask your, yourself before you're engaging in these conversations. And the first question is this, is do I have to respond to this person? Is this someone that, I, that I'm close enough with that I feel like I do have to give an answer to? So if this is someone that you really never were friends with to begin with, meaning that maybe you didn't know them, like in my case, when I hosted the Gospel of Christ TV program, I mean, our, our program went out to, to tens of thousands of people. Uh, as far as our actual audience, I mean, it went out to more people than that, but that's how many people we had watching. And so when I did start to change, I had a lot of people email me asking me why I changed and what's wrong. And they were asking me all these specific questions and I didn't even know who they were. They knew me through the program, but I didn't even personally know them. So I didn't feel obligated. And I asked other people who've gone through the same thing, how should I handle this? And they said, don't feel obligated. You don't even know who they are. If you want to write an article and just reference that article, you can do that. But don't feel like you have to, to give an answer to every single person as to why you're changing. Now, I will say that's why I wrote my book. Well, that's not the only reason, but that's that was one of the many reasons why I wrote my book is that when people ask, why did I change? I can give them my first book, A Different Kind of Poison how legalism destroys grace. And I detail why I changed. So if I could point them to that, but I didn't feel like I had to always answer people, especially those I didn't know. But what about acquaintances? Uh, For most people, you're probably going to be getting emails and text messages and phone calls and perhaps even in-person visits from people that you do know, that you did go to church with. And it's not as easy to just say, oh, I'm just going to ignore that person or I don't feel obligated to respond to them because you actually do know them. So how can you still show them kindness? How can you still show them mercy and grace and love, but still engage with them all at the same time? (laughs) Because when someone comes to you with their concern, what that means is they're not interested in having an actual conversation. Their mind, you're already wrong. They're right. They have the truth and you don't. So what do you do? I had someone ask me that just last week. And this is why it's fresh on my mind. And I said, well, and and this was actually someone's family. I said, you know, this is our family. What do we do? And I said, well, first of all, the things we've already discussed, make sure you're showing them grace and mercy. Make sure that you're you're being kind to them. You're showing them the grace that you, you claim you believe in. Don't force them into a certain position. Don't be the one to draw a line with them. All those types of things. I said, but when you're actually engaged in a conversation, Try not to get too engaged in the specific topic if you see it's not going to go anywhere or if you know beforehand the person simply is going to try to prove you wrong instead of really genuinely asking your, you why you changed in your position. Because there are people out there who are genuinely wondering, well, why did you change? And they may be having some of the same questions you have, and they're actually coming to you in a vulnerable state wanting to know why you changed. I'm not talking about those individuals. I'm talking about your friends and your family and your church members 
who they're not coming to you because they've been having questions or they've been studying themselves out of certain topics. I'm not talking about that right now. I'm talking about people who already think that they are right and that you're wrong and they're going to come and set you straight. What do you do? Well, I've been in those types of conversations before and it is very hard not to fall prey into trying to just debate them, trying to, to, to jump right in there and start converting them. When you do that though, I think you're losing them. Um, instead, what I tend to do in conversations like that, when I see that it's not going to be an actual conversation, it's maybe just going to be a rebuking or someone telling me I'm wrong, then I will let them talk. I will let them say their piece. And I will respond by saying something to the effect of, thank you for sharing that with me. I really appreciate your concern. I believe you have the best of intentions. I know these types of situations are awkward. I'm sure that you're nervous and you probably don't like doing this and having this conversation any more than I'm, I'm going to enjoy having this conversation. So I appreciate you coming to me. But I have studied these issues out. And I've come to a different place in my understanding. And the last thing that I want is that to cause division among us. And so I would prefer that, that we don't discuss these things. And I'll respect where you're at. And I ask that you do the same with me. Now, that in and of itself can be a pretty bold statement. And, and that can be uncomfortable when you say something like that. Because you never know how the other person's going to respond. But what, you, what you're doing, and, and, and do it as kindly as you can. Um, you know, I, I, it's, 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 you don't want to say, I don't want to talk about this. You know, I believe what I believe you believe what you believe and shut up and quit asking me questions. I'm not talking about that. You want to be kind when you do it. You want to show grace when you do it. You want to have a kind tone and you want to be honest. You want to be honest with people. You know, I, I, when I, um, started changing on a plethora of issues, I actually had someone email me one of my own articles and told me, you need to reread this, Kevin. And if you do, you're going to be converted back to what you used to believe. As if I had not written that article, as if I didn't know what that article said. It wasn't that I didn't know what it was it said, it's that I had a different interpretation. I had learned a, a new understanding that I thought was more consistent with scripture. People don't even think about that. They just assume, oh, well, if we can just quote this one Bible verse, this will change everything. And so when you're dealing with someone like that, with that kind of mentality at that point in time, now that doesn't mean that later on that person may not be more open, but at that point in time, having a debate with them, it's not going to change them. It's not going to make you feel better. It's not going to make them feel better. If anything, in their mind, it's going to give them more ammunition for why you're wrong and why they're right. And so I just try to cut it off and, and let them know I love them. I care about them. I appreciate their concern. Um, and I believe that it's coming from a genuine place, but that I've changed and I, through a lot of prayer, through a lot of study, and I'm at a different conviction than they are at. And I respect them and I ask that they respect me. Now, if it's something that I do believe um, it could hurt somebody or themselves, then, yeah, I will try to talk to them about it. But I'm just talking about the typical doctrinal conversations and disagreements that most Christians have. So that's one thing. Uh, when, when you're dealing with someone, though, who proceeds to be aggressive, so you, you try to tell them you're not interested, right? You, you don't want to have this discussion with them. You don't want to have this. You've, you, you've tried to disarm the conversation. And when they won't allow that to happen, then what do you do? 
So let's say that you you gave them what I just you told them what I just said, and they said, "Well, Kevin, I, I know that you've come to a different conviction, but that's why I'm concerned, and I'm not going to respect your conviction because I think you're lost, and I think you're going to go to hell if you don't change, and I think you're wrong, and I'm really concerned for your soul, and 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 if I'm wrong, I want you to show me why you think that I'm wrong." And I got that a lot when I started changing. Well, if 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 you think I'm wrong, then don't you need to to teach me the truth? Don't you need to correct me? Once again, that's that baiting, trying trying to get me to engage with them in this conversation. And the response that I gave them in that instance is I just told them flat out, I said, look, this is one of the things that I've changed on. And that is, I don't think you're lost simply because I think you're wrong on this issue. And I made it clear that I'm not saying that I think they're right on the issue. I would let them know I do disagree with you. But the difference in where I'm at now and where I was before is I don't think that means I have to prove you wrong. I don't think that means that I have to change you to see things exactly the way I see them in order for us to be friends, in order for us to still have a relationship, in order for us to still be cordial and respectful toward one another. Now, what happens when they continue to persist? Well, at that point, there may come a time when you just finally say, look, I've, I've told you I'm not interested in having this conversation right now. And if, and if you're not going to respect that, then, um, you know, I, I, I don't know what that means going forward for you. But every time I see you, I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be respectful and I'm not going to draw any lines. But you're, you're, you know, feel, feel, like, feel free to do what you believe you have to do. Um, because sometimes people begin to threaten you, tell you they're going to withdraw fellowship or mark you as a false teacher. Once again, I'm speaking from experience here, and my response is, I, I had people mark me as a false teacher. People still mark me as a false teacher. And that doesn't anger me, because I used to mark everybody as a false teacher. So I know where that mentality is coming from. It's nothing personal. When someone marks me as a false teacher, what that means is they disagree with what I'm saying. And they, their, their system of belief demands that they mark me as a false teacher. If that's what they feel like they have to do, then I let them know that's their prerogative. If you feel like I'm a false teacher and you want to tell other people I'm a false teacher, the only thing I do ask is that you do not misrepresent what I'm saying. It's one thing to say I disagree with Kevin on this issue. It's another thing when someone says Kevin no longer cares about the Bible. Kevin no longer cares about the truth. Kevin no longer cares about God. That's when I get a little frustrated because now I'm being misrepresented. But if someone wants to call me a false teacher because I think instrumental music's okay, well, well, then that's their prerogative because clearly we would disagree on that. But you allow people to do what they feel like they have to do. The majority of the time, what I have found is that if you do not press a person into feeling like they have to change or feeling like um, you know they have to see things the way you see it or putting a ultimatum on them and telling them they have to change. If you don't do that, the majority of the time, people will not draw lines with you. Now, sometimes they still will. I said the majority. I didn't say all the time. Uh, sometimes they still will, but a lot of times people end up, they, they would rather have that continued relationship with you, especially if you've always had a good relationship with them. Now, finally, what happens though when you're having conversations with someone? Because when you when I started changing, I was very suspicious when people said they wanted to talk to me because I thought, okay, is this person actually wanting to talk to me? Are they just wanting to get more information? Are they just trying to, you know, to out me? Like what's really going on here? And I was surprised at how many people were vulnerable and genuine in wanting to talk to me because they themselves had had a lot of the same questions I was exploring for many years.
And they felt like now they could come to me and talk to me about it. And we were able to have really good conversations. Those types of conversations, they bear great fruit. Those types of conversations, you, you develop perhaps even better relationships because you realize that you're not the only one who's going through the same things. And you'll be surprised. I talked to someone this, this week and he said, Kevin, I feel like I'm the only one who is, who's having these questions. And I said, chances are you're not. And, and well, I know he's not in the, in the scheme of things, but I, I told him uh, as far as his actual congregation, he said, I feel like I'm the only one in my church who's ever thought these questions or who has, who has ever had these doubts about the particular topics we were talking about. And I said, I said, I'm pretty sure you're not the only one that you'll figure out that there's other people who have those as well. And, and over time, I think he will, because people tend to hide that in a legalistic environment. We're told we can't really question or we can question just within this safe area. You know, it's, it's like you, you put a, a chain on a dog and say, well, you, you're free to roam wherever you want to. Well, that dog's really not free to roam wherever the dog wants to because you have them on a leash. And I feel like that's how it is when it comes to questions sometimes as people say, okay, here's your leash. Ask all the questions you want, but you can only ask them within this certain area and within this certain sphere instead of being able to, to ask any questions that you want to and to explore further than what the leadership wants you to or what your congregation wants you to. But I say all that just to say that when you're changing, you're going to find that there are a lot of people who are changing with you who have already had those questions before. And you may even find deeper relationships with people you didn't realize uh, had all those, com- you know, all, those, uh, all those things in common, all those questions in common or those doubts in common or whatever it might be. So I just think it's important to keep that in mind when you're having these discussions with people. And, you know, I've almost gone 40 minutes and there's a whole lot more that I can say, but I don't want to ramble. Like I said before, Lee and I, we've made this podcast hopefully interesting by having two people. We know that it's when it's one person, sometimes it can be a bit boring because you don't have the back and forth. So I don't want to bore you too much. There is a lot more that I could say about this because, as I said before, even though I didn't necessarily prepare specifically for this, this is something I have thought a lot about, something I have had uh, many conversations about with a lot of people. And ultimately, those are the things, those are the main things I wish I would have done differently when I was leaving legalism. Now, if there are questions that you have, if you are in that process and you just want some encouragement, you just want some support, I'm here for you. I am not going to have all the answers. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that up front, but I will be more than happy to be a listening ear. I'll be more than happy to try to just give you an encouraging word to let you know you're not alone, to let you know you're not the only one who's gone down this path before. That even though it may feel that way, I promise you, you're not. And when people are attacking you, please don't attack back. That That's not doing yourself a favor. It's not doing God a favor. It's not doing Christianity a favor. It's not doing grace a favor. If we have changed, and, and, and I always, some well, I, I never like to leave a podcast without getting on a soapbox about something. But what bothers me the most is sometimes those who claim to be the most grace-centered are the rudest, meanest, unkind. They'll attack you personally. And when people see that, they think, well, if that's what being a grace-centered Christian looks like, well, I don't want any part of that. 
And so it's vital that if we're teaching that we've changed because of God's love and grace and compassion and mercy, then let's live that out, folks. Like, let's let's be the kind of people we're claiming to be. Let's not just be who we always were, just jumping ships and still shooting cannonballs just at the other side. No. You know, and, that, and that's what happens. I mean, you you have people on one side and then people on the other side and they're throwing stones at each other and there's Jesus in none of that. And, and it's, it's no wonder to me why there's so many people leaving Christianity at large right now. I mean, why so many people are abandoning the idea of Christianity and faith. Because what they see is they see on the right side people who claim that they're followers of God yet treat people horribly, especially those they disagree with. And then they go to the other side and see they treat people just as just as horribly as the other side. It's just different people they're treating bad, badly. <laughs> and then we ask, where's Jesus at? I don't see Jesus in any of that. But there have been enough Christians in my life who have demonstrated grace that allowed me to experience grace. You've probably heard the phrase, you may be the only Bible people read. Well, I want to take that a step further. You may be the only grace that someone experiences on earth. You may be the only experience or the only opportunity someone has to experience a radical love and a radical grace and a radical mercy and a radical forgiveness. And if we don't take advantage of those opportunities, shame on us. Shame on us. We're not going to change people by quoting Bible left and right at them. People are going to have to do their own study. We can talk about it. Don't get me wrong. I think Bible study is important. That's why we have this podcast. And those tools can help people. But, but in order for someone to be changed through academia, they already have to be at a level of where they're open-minded to hear what, what we have to say, to hear what you have to say. All of the studies in the world, all these podcasts in the world won't mean a thing if we are not loving people we disagree with. People will never want to know why we believe our theology if in application we don't look like Jesus. So I can talk about how we should look like Jesus all day long, but if we're not living that out, no one's really going to care about my views on the roles of women or instrumental music or the Holy Spirit or the Godhead or, or the Bible and how to approach the Bible or Christian universalism or any other issue. I mean, all, all the hundreds of issues that Christians talk about, no one's going to care about that if they first don't see Jesus living in me. So with that said, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for putting up with me tonight. Without Lee, without a special guest, just allowing me to talk person to person, having this what to me has felt like a very personal, real conversation. And, and I hope that it has been beneficial for you and that it is something that you will be able to utilize if you are in the process of leaving, leaving legalism, or maybe you've already left and you're still wondering how to, how to handle yourself, how to conduct yourself and have those conversations when people do attack you or when people are genuinely interested in learning more about your change. So with that said, we are signing off here in just a moment, but Lee always does a fantastic job telling people to make sure that you follow our podcast. Now that we have YouTube, please, please, please subscribe to our channel, uh, like this video, share it with others, comment, let us know what you think. Reach out to us personally, privately through email if you want to talk to us. If there's anything we can help you with, please let us know and we will be glad to do so. With that said, we hope you have a wonderful night and we love you guys.